Guys, welcome to the Property Pod. You are here with Aaron Horn, your host, and joined as usual, Patrick Berry and John McGregor. Gentlemen, how you how doing? We doing? Yeah, Pretty well, good. that was an interesting welcome by John. It sure was. Yeah, <laughs> gotta mix it up, oh, gentlemen. I worry every time about getting the <laughs> accessible. <laughs> <laughs> I worry every time John opens his mouth. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm gonna leave it till last. Well, we do have to um, uh, start the show here, but we just have to reach out to everyone that uh, missed out on the show last week. Things were quite hectic in the 414 offices and I don't even have to say the 414 and First National offices anymore because... Nope, nope, it's one and the same. It's one and the same. So it's all happening over here. Both you guys have been flat chat with kind of getting everything off the ground here at at the merged or the, the super... Super, what are we calling it? I don't know. Super office? Super office? The super dudes. I say super I'm, office. Yeah, say I'm a big, I like that. So let's not go super dudes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Boyle always comes up with the, the really bad names for yeah. their, their, their groups. Which is funny you say that because that's what Abby and I have been watching every night at the moment is Nine-Nine. I was, I was thinking of the movie Mystery Men, which is to me one of the most unaderated... <laughs> Underrated comedy films. They came up with the Super Squad, which no one liked. John, just so you know, you have referenced those guys at least ten times. I'm gonna, for the next ten weeks, I'll see if I can like just find a way of squeezing that in there. I won't do that. <laughs> so, give us a rundown of what's been happening in the real estate. I like obviously Australia's a bit of a divided nation at the moment. It's kind of strange that the states seem like they're they're almost separate countries. Like there's stuff going on in each state that. It's kind of hard to say. So what we'll try and do with us is we'll stick just at home and in Tassie. Mm. What's happening down here? How are we how are we getting through? Well, it seems for us the um, like I think we touched on before. There was a big month that doesn't seem to be slowing at the moment. It again like the best thing for locals is everyone just wants to get on with their lives, and I think that's just the best way to sum it up in the market for locals, as far as I can tell. Yeah, no, it was really busy last month. It was uh, really good to see lots of inquiries, multiple offers on different properties. So. It's business as usual. Mm, I mean, one thing that has been um, – I've had quite a few more uh, uptake investors at the moment considering just sort of cashing out, I guess you could say, um, because there's been such good strong growth over three, four years, um, you know, 10%, 10%, 10%, and that now starting to tailor off. I think a few of them now just reconsidering that they might want to um, move their properties on. The only problem is though is because the they've been signing on 12-month leases obviously out of concern to make sure that they uh, who knew what was going to happen with the COVID outbreak. Yep. Now unfortunately they're sort of locked into you know leases till March, April, May next year. Um, there's been just a couple of properties that have been almost impossible to move especially when you've had people that have really looked out for their tenants um, and they're into like paying well under market. Yeah this, like, this seems like a really tricky thing that I've kind of never understood until only recently but the idea of looking after your tenants but you're almost harming your own mm. um, well-being by doing so sometimes by by not actually raising the rents to Look, kind of the market. I might be a slumlord but I just don't get it. You have an investment property, the goal is to make money out of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's just a funny one because, yeah, you know, you want the idea of having you know, a long-term tenant in and you look after them and make sure. And I know – I was speaking to a friend on a golf trip recently and what they were basically saying was that, yeah, they'd undercut themselves out of being able to sell their property yeah. because yep. they would, they'd constantly, like, you know, they'd kept the rent at $150, $200 below what the market for that region was. Because that's one thing that's really important for 
um, people to remember too is that you can't um, – and there's a sad reality where in the end we've always end up having our own best interests in, in heart. Yeah. And so there's this tough balance of, like you said, wanting to be loyal to um, people to look after them. But at the other end, if their life cha- tra- circumstances change, nine times out of ten they're not going to care about you. Um, and that sort of goes on both – both parts. So in order to, if you are looking from in terms of investment, like Pat said, it's really, really, really important to consider your um, your exit plan. Um, sometimes I think where we've had, um, it happened recently with clients where their plan was, you know, a couple months in, we, oh, we'll just keep it as it was because everything's fine. And then two months later, it just completely flips on ahead and they're stuck with it. You know, we can't move it in a what's a reasonable price because um, it's it's a you know it was a property that was first home buyers or investors, but no person's going to you know no one wanted it to take on um, a lease that was nearly a hundred dollars below market rent for the for five weeks. Even when we try to take it from the angle to say, well, look, um, by all accounts, you might be adverse to maybe. $5,000 over the course of 12 months. So perhaps if we factor that into that purchase price, you could then, um, that mitigates that loss of weekly rental return. But even on when we're trying to play down that card, it was still really hard to encourage investors to buy it. And then the first home buyers couldn't buy it because they couldn't purchase it below market rent because it wouldn't value up for rental. And then also too, they couldn't take advantage of the um, schemes because they needed to live in with it for the first six months. So it's just, you know... Yeah, so yeah, that's another point that you've raised there that I kind of hadn't considered either is that you could, say, um, adjust the um, purchase price to cover any losses there. But then again, that's something that you've got to be able to, like I think, Pat, you've mentioned before, um, most investors or or homeowners don't have this side, what did you call it? Well, it's just like a slush fund. A slush fund. A slush fund. Yeah, like a little extra side bit of cash for when things get tough. Yeah, so if you don't have that set aside, you know, you're not really thinking about I guess we've spoken about mum and dad investors or set and forget investors. Yeah, yeah. That's another kind of situation where it's like I've got one property, I don't have like a a full matchbook of like thousands of properties because I'm a mogul. Well, and that's sort of where I'm sort of excited to speak to um, a guest today where, he, you know, um, bringing Simon back because on that basis then I'd be interested to see from an, like both a buyer's advocate and, investors, and you know, like investor advocate to say, well, look, if you were looking at properties like that, if they could still provide a good opportunity but it's like not marrying up today, what would his advice be? You know, would it be a case if he's like, well, look, if you can still get, a, you know, seven or eight grand below um, market value on purchase price but um, you have taken a hit on the rental for the short term, would that still be conceived, still be considered a good purchase? Yeah, yeah, um, a really good lead-in. Because it's sort of, uh, you know, from the sales from the salesman's perspective, I mean, we're only we're basically trying to uh, tell you know st- tell stories that might map to the person's um, wants and needs to purchase that home. But you know, sometimes there's only so much we can do, and it's just unfortunately you're going to have to wait for a better time for our clients. And that's sort of what a couple of our properties have happened to us recently. Yeah, cool. Well, that seems like a good lead in to kind of get to um, our guest today, Simon. I'm just looking forward to hearing him gloat about the Brisbane Lions. Um, <laughs> I think that's sports capital of Australia. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what about this talk of like the grand final maybe being played up there? It's well, I can't see look, it being played in Victoria. Look, West Coast can win anywhere, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> He's flying high. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll duck off. We'll grab Simon on the line, and we'll be back very soon. Nice. Four One Four Real Estate has been operating within the northern suburbs of Hobart since two thousand and six, with their innovative approach to marketing and managing your property. They have all your property needs covered. Find out more by visiting them today at 414.com.au. All right, guys, as we mentioned in the lead-in before, we've got a friend of the podcast back with us again, Simon Presley from the sporting capital of Australia at the moment. Well, <laughs> sporting capital of Australia, right. 
That's what they call oh, Brisbane you know, these days, aren't they? <laughs> Thanks for having me back, Dan. So I've got to, I've got to have a, a dig at you, um, uh, affectionate dig. Last time we were talking was on the eve of the Brisbane Lions about to play their first final. And you, at that point, I think we'd run 11 or 12 straight. We lost the next two after our last conversation. <laughs> Mate, I can tell that's been burning uh, for quite some time. <laughs> we do apologise. We do Well, look, they've already won this week, so you're fine um, on that one. How does it feel to have them uh, so high up on the, the ladder currently? Um, ladder position, oh, that's, uh, you know, you, um, it's, it, you can't not like that. The thing I've actually loved the most is, is living in Brisbane. And as you said, just about every team has relocated here. So, um Brisbane, the Lions haven't played much at the Gabba. Um, I've, uh, I drove to the Gold Coast, which for me is about an hour and a half drive. Um, I drove down there three times in probably eight days to watch them play play live uh, down there at Metricon. So that's something that I would not have been able to do if, if not COVID. Yes, it's been a, um, a silver lining on a, a pretty devastating year of 2020, but it's um, it's nice that some things can be kind of back to normal or kind of the new normal. It's, you know, not as full stands as, as regular, but it's nice to still see people in the stands uh, cheering on their teams. Yes, yes. It's a bit different being there live. I must I must admit there's quite a few things that when you're there in the flesh that you're, you're still reminded um, that we are living in a different world. Yeah, yeah, I guess um, pivoting from there, kind of how's things going uh, in Queensland where we were just describing before that's kind of business as usual in a way down here, as you say, there's things that are, are kind of uh, changed. But, yeah, being an island state, we're pretty pretty lucky. Yeah, so how are you finding Yeah, look, um, I'd say Queensland uh, would probably be very similar to, to Tasmania and, and South Australia and, and Northern Territory. Um some things are largely um, as normal, but we're all conscious. You can't you can't not know with all you know what occupies news each day what has actually happened, and and of course um, uh, there are certain businesses through no fault of their own can't operate or you know have to operate on a, on a very much scaled back basis. So, um, but who knows? I've sort of uh, adopted the attitude, uh, plan for the worst. And uh, hope for the best. And uh, for all I know, we may never develop a vaccine. That's certainly not what I wish. But mm. no one can guarantee that we will or when we will. So I'm sort of uh, made some pretty big decisions of my own, as if this is the new normal for us. That makes sense. Well, as what? How's it affected in your from your business then? What? What? How have the conversations changed to investors or even um, purchasers for the clients that you're looking after over the last? You know, was it several months now? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, 100% of our clients are property investors, and initially, when when COVID hit, um, I, I was like everyone else, trying to get my head around, you know, what does this, what does this mean? How's it going to affect things? Um, so we sort of put things on hold uh, for, for a week or two, just while we got our, our head head around it. Um, yeah, yep. And then our focus was more trying to bring some calm and some composure to the discussion, because I'm sure you still would have seen the same headlines in Tasmania as, as, as the rest of mainland Australia saw, and everything was focused on, we're going to have 20% unemployment rates, and, and property prices are going to drop by 40%, 40% or maybe 50%. Mm. Um, we saw we had a leadership role um, in, in, in really trying to just, just dumb it all down, and this is what it means, and this is how it's going to affect things, and, and it actually isn't going to be that bad. Yeah, gotcha. Well, so now, now I suppose you've had the chance to. Well, all of us have had the chance to. Um, you know, every state's experiencing something different. Hobart's obviously for locals. We say that people just 
want to get on with their lives. Um, you know, Victoria's get hit really hard. I know um, my parents have got a, a, an apartment in Melbourne. Once before they are getting 520 a week. Um, now they had to drop it to 350. Um, so obviously those centres are getting hard. But, I mean, are they with the conversations with your clients now, so I'm finding there's been a lot more encouragement of buying opportunities or are people wanting to look seeking advice to stay the same or selling. Um, have you noticed much different in the activity on that sense? Um, I guess the, our volumes of inquiries have probably dropped off a little bit on what on what they would normally be, but not not a lot. Mm. Um, once we got past that first, you know, initial three weeks or whatever it was, um, uh, the, and, but property prices have have really held firm. There yeah. are parts of Australia um, that have actually, albeit small, but they have prices are still growing. Uh, you know, and, and you'll be seeing that um, certainly at the affordable range in Hobart. I would I would have thought. Um, I don't think you would have seen any prices um, reduce and probably would have seen a, a, a little bit of um, growth, maybe not at the luxury end. Um, same as you know, Bernie is one of the strongest markets in Australia at the moment, yep. um, in the north of your state. And Launceston is still strong. And large parts of the in Australia, um, albeit small, uh, they are getting some price growth. Um, that, we haven't that... seen many locations of... All that fear about uh, lots of tenants going in arrears. Mm. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. I'm sure there'll be parts of Melbourne and Sydney that are suffering that, but large parts of Australia, that is not what's been experienced. In fact, where two of the markets we're active in at the moment, um, our local property managers um, just don't have enough rental stock to meet meet the demand. So, oh wow! So is that a weird sensation for the market? Like obviously, in the middle of the pandemic, you expect things to be going backwards, but. Is it weird to be having conversations that parts of Australia are doing really well and there is price growth and to educate people that there isn't that doom and gloom out there? Um, not weird to ask because it's what, what we went on public record and said this is what we think will happen. Um, mm. we, we were probably the odd, odd one out that didn't agree that prices were going to significantly decline and, and, and articulated um, why we felt that way and that's, that's how it's um, unfolded. But the discussions that we have with clients, I suppose, a lot of them have been pleasantly surprised um it's all well and good for us to express an opinion anyone can say anything but to actually you know be able to sort of say that you know in here's why and here's a whole bunch of evidence as to as to why they're not not going to um plummet and and why they have actually grown and and and, and his real life clients that actually did get a tenant before the property even settled um Mm. they're, they're pleasantly surprised to hear those sort of real life stories so have you found more people maybe wanting to buy property instead of things like the share market, which is up and down at the moment as a result of everything happening in the world? Uh, I think the longer this has gone on, um, the broader community have gained uh, more confidence. I think I think a lot of people might have got sucked up by the negative reporting initially, you know, in, in, in April, May, um, and uh, kept their powder dry, but when it when price, when there was a, you know a couple of months of evidence um, showing that that hadn't happened, and you know there was actually a little bit of growth, um, some people have come out of the woodwork and now feel they've got the confidence to to enter the market and get on with their life. Um, it's always, you know, as I say to anybody, um, in or out of a pandemic, the best time to invest in your future is always as soon as you can afford to. The key <laughs> question like is, should it be? It should never be when. It's always where. This is a very, very big and diverse country. And in or out of a crisis, there's always going to be a lot of locations that um, your market conditions are, are good for investing in. So speaking of where, I, uh, I was looking at one of the propertyology reports that you've uh, recently come out and you've 
uh, kind of put forward the notion of this mini capital city idea. I was um, I was intrigued to find out more about that. Yeah, it's a, obviously it's not in the uh, in the Oxford Dictionary. It's a, it's a propertyology <laughs> phrase that we, we we use it to try to, I, I guess, um, you know, come up with a simple word to articulate. Um, there are a lot of people who've only ever lived in a capital city, especially um, you know, the ten million people spread across Sydney and Melbourne. Um, a, a lot of those have only ever lived there, um, and so understandably for them, uh, their home is is their normal, and think that the rest of the country. Uh, well, some people think the rest of the country is a is a dust bowl and there's nothing there. Um, but there are large parts of Australia that we describe as a mini capital city. So what we're saying is they've got all the essential infrastructure, they've got universities, they've got good retail options, they've got affordable housing in space, they've got an airport, you know, with daily flights to you know um, lots of different parts of the country, tertiary education options. That's everything that a capital city's got. But instead of having 10 Westfield shopping centres, there might be two, you know, um, but it doesn't really lack anything. So that's what we call a, a mini capital city um, and it needs to have a diverse economy. So it's not a, not a one industry farming community or a one industry mining town or something like that. It, it does have a legitimate diverse economy, which again is, you know, what people refer to with a capital city from an investment perspective. Um, there's probably 40 odd mini capital cities throughout Australia in Tasmania, Launceston is the perfect example. Right, okay. I think I saw, sorry to cut you off, John, I think I saw you stated on, I think it was yourmoney.com, an interview you did with those guys. Um, I think 33 of the regional locations had equal or greater to um, population growth um, in the past uh, period. Yeah, um, there's actually, you know, uh, this is before COVID, um, the trend will accelerate post-COVID, I think. But yeah. uh, there are there are lots of locations, um, or, you know, in most states actually, where um, people are actually leaving. There's a decline in population from capital cities due to what's called internal migration. So that's an existing Australian resident that, let's say, lives lived in Sydney last year and decided to, you know, totally relocate the family to a different part of the country. That's what what us, us data nerds call um, internal migration. Mm. Um, and so the 12 months uh, ending last financial year, or June 2019, um, five out of eight capital cities had a population decline to um, internal migration. Yep. Um, and one of the three that had um, population growth was Melbourne, but it was 0.01%. So really oh, it's right. only your home city, Hobart, yep. and Brisbane, of our capital cities that gained population from internal migration over the well, that'd be last the AFL years. players. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there must be something there, surely. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess I guess my thinking was, do you think that's going to um, grow again with this kind yeah, of absolutely. idea of living on top of each other maybe isn't the best thing with the global pandemic? Um, yep. Yeah. No, I've got no doubt about that because, as I said, the trend, you know, it's, not, it, it's been growing for, for a good, you know, few years. Um um, our, our eight capital cities have actually had a po- total population decline of 53,000 people over the last three years to wow. internal migration. That's a big figure. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's nearly all of Launceston, you know, that's been ripped out of, um, you know, eight capital cities just in the last three years. And with, with the pandemic, um, you know, um, the virus breeds in congestion. Mm. Um, we all know that with what's happening in Melbourne at the moment. Um, it also uh, is an attack on household incomes. 
Um, so there'll be lots of people who will be seriously already, I think, thinking about relocating to to a part of Australia that's got a nice lifestyle, that's got a comparable quality home, but with a much smaller mortgage. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and employment um, conditions are not as congested. So that's going to open up all sorts of non-capital city opportunities for people. Also, with the pandemic and everything that's happened on that front, do you think the fact that more people can work from home and their businesses have recreated the way jobs can be done will open up those regional cities to be more accessible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that I guess the, the, uh, the fast-speed fast internet um, you know, that's sort of been progressively rolled out across Australia over the last, you know, five or six years. Had already seen some businesses do that, but a, a small percentage. And I certainly think um, during the lockdown period, there'd be many households, many businesses that would, be, would have been trialling something that they'd never done before. I, I know that I had never used Zoom until late March. Uh, I'd done plenty of things on Skype, but I'd never used Zoom before, and now I probably use you know, Zoom two or three times a week. Um, and during during the isolation period, um, our own business, Propertyology, we actually made a, um, a, a formal decision. We're not going back to our office. Oh, wow. You know, for a period of time there, we had to work from home and we embraced, we embraced technology. And what we found was that um, not only we could, could we work just as effectively by embracing technology and not being in office, but... When you're two IC, when you're sitting down having a coffee with him, and you sort of say, "How, how have you found working from home?" Because he'd never done it before, and he and immediately had this big smile on his face, mm. which is not the reaction I was expecting. And and they, he then followed by saying, "Simon, I've just worked out with my wife. I have an extra twelve and a half hours in my week by not having to commute to and from home to work." Yeah, wow. Twelve and a half. Think about that. Yeah. Twelve and a half hours is more than a full day. I'm going, Every to take week. A, I'm going to take a guess that he doesn't have any kids at home that he was house-sitting. He, oh, he does. Oh, rubbish. Because <laughs> yeah. I had a completely uh, different experience. <laughs> I was keen to get out of there. <laughs> but that's why I was surprised when he started answering his question with a big smile because I, mm. I knew initially he was struggling trying to work with a couple of young kids. But, you know, they got into a new routine and, and that was actually going quite well and the kids had actually settled down by having mum and dad home a yeah, bit cool. more. Um, so 12 and a half hours, you know. That's um, amazing. That's, that's, you can't manufacture time, can you? But we found a way to do it. Well, that's and that's 12 hours of quality time too, not just, oh, yep. I've got to go, I'm rushing. It's like that's – and then and that's at 50 hours of you – know, um, that's nearly how many – 500 hours over the course of the year, you know. So it's um, it's a phenomenal amount of difference that that could have an effect on the family just be by being able to be present um, just because of no travel time. Um, Absolutely, and there will be there will be people if not already there will be there will be people contemplating working from home permanently, and then they'll take that one. Some people will take that one step further and say, "I can actually work from home." And then now, where does home? Where do I want it to be? It doesn't have to be here, especially if you're someone with a big with a big mortgage. There'll be people sort of saying, "I, I could be living in a, in a in a dwelling as comparable quality to this, if not better." They'd be surprised if you get, um, you know, lots of people from Sydney and Melbourne that uh, want to finally act and relocate to Tasmania. We all know that it'd be crazy not to. It's beautiful down there. Very true, my friend. Very true. Well, and how's it? Well, then on that, then, um, so you've the way you described it before um, these mini cities. It's in some ways no different than the fundamentals that you've spoken to us about before. We said diversification of um, possible industry. You know, good. Um, access to services, etc. Um, is it 
are you considering then with the pro- the places you're advising your clients to that those centres are now just actively working at creating these new opportunities because things have changed, or as or they now or they were always a natural progression? It might be too big a question to ask, but um, then is that sort of what you're tracing now? Is it stuff that's happening now? Or are you still looking for future focus for people's investments? Yeah, no. So already, um, you know, over the last say the last five years, we've already invested in places such as Launceston, such as um, Orange as a mini capital city in New mm. South Wales, uh, Bendigo and Ballarat are mini capital cities in Victoria, um, in, in Queensland, some mini capital cities include you know, you know Cairns and, and Townsville and Mackay. So mm. as I said, there's about forty of them all up, and we've already invested in in many of those over the last five years, and I, and I think. In fact, I'm certain that um, it'll be locations like that and others that will benefit from a, an acceleration of internal migration that, um, that perhaps wouldn't have been the size of what it's likely to be if not for the coronavirus. And, uh, yeah, there'd be an additional driver for property markets, we feel. Yeah, fantastic. Well, there was one specific question I wanted to see what you'd take on it. So we um, a lot of our clients obviously rushed to make sure that they had long-term leases in place as the virus went into play. Um, yep. But in Tassie especially, because we found out the business returned to normal quite quickly, they realised, well, oh, hang on, I still want to be looking at selling. Um, and so if you could give the advice, um, so you're looking to purchase for someone and in this particular case, their property is let for about $110 below market rent um, and – the, they've got a you know a ten month lease in place. We can't. It's, it is a first time buyer investment home. Um, the first time buyers can't really purchase it because they you know they they didn't want to let it in the first place and they can't get into it. Um, and then it, just the general investor doesn't want it because it's so severely um, uh, underlet that they don't want to buy it on those numbers. So then we had this conversation to say, well, look, you know, you could say to the investor, look, well, if what if you adjusted your purchase price by say five thousand dollars to uh, mitigate that um, uh, that difference. Um, for the lost rent, maybe we could still make that work and re, um, you know, get that rent increased in twelve months' time. Um, from, from you as an advisor going to your client, what sort of a conversation would you have? Would would that be something you'd consider, um, you know, encouraging your clients to buy, or would you just say walk away, or would would you come up with a strategy? What would, what might you do in that situation? Uh, so if I was the owner of that asset and and, and uh, for whatever he desperately wanted to sell, mm. um, I can think of two two. Um, practical options. One is you've, you've mentioned already mm. um, to be prepared to, you know, offer that property up to a willing buyer at a, a few grand lower than what they would normally um, expect to pay for it. So giving them some financial compensation because they can't do what they wish with it um, if it was under normal circumstances. Or the other, and I'd, I'd be talking to my tenant um, about the possibility of uh, helping them find. Um, somewhere alternative for them to live in, mm. um, whether that's actively helping them find another property or whether it's more practically, um, you know, agreeing to pay um, for them to break the lease. That's that's what I would uh, be seriously doing. If I was the buyer, well, obviously, if I'm a first home buyer, I can't, I can't buy that property while there's someone living there because I'm not eligible for the various... Um, Grants, um, there's going to be an income stream coming in on it. Um, if I was a general owner occupier, um, you'd still consider it, but only if you'd really, really wanted to, if it absolutely had to be that property, you know, I guess it'd be weighing up um, 
could I still buy that property today and just accept the rent for the next 10 months and then move into it now? I don't imagine there's that many owner-occupiers would be prepared to do that, but yeah. who knows? If they desperately wanted that property, that, that's a term they might consider. But what about um, then as an investor? Um, would just be cost averaging it out and think, well, the capital growth of the long term is worth it, or would you just say look for another opportunity? Um, as an investor for us, the property itself and the, well, more importantly the location, the town or city needs to, needs to tick propertyologies boxes and then the individual property asset needs to tick our boxes. So if this property ticked those boxes, there needs to be a, a, a financial compensation of sorts for us to still still buy it. Yeah. Um, now, if, if we're uh, looking to do that in a market where there's very limited good quality properties currently listed for sale, and I believe that's still the case to a large degree in Hobart, yeah. um, then we, we would be you know, very open-minded and, and thinking laterally and hoping that the person selling that property also had that same mindset and trying to, trying to structure a deal. Um, mm. As that buyer, maybe we were the only buyer that would be prepared to um, be, be flexible mm. um, you know, and, and take on that property at a lease that's well under market rent, we want to be compensated in some other way. So that might be a five grand price discount or something like that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, thanks for that. I guess there's no mm. get out of jail free card on that one, John. You've gone to the top and it seems like you've still got a, a bit of a pickle on your hands. Yeah, no, it's just, it, just, it is a, just a fascinating conversation to have with them yeah. because it's that they are sort of prepared for the worst and got in that, but then at the same token too, then quickly change their mind because circumstances change. like, what do we do? What, what do we do? Yeah. Like, well, well, this is our options, you know? Yeah, interesting. I'm a big believer, um, you know, you, you guys – property for a living, we buy property for a living and mm. um, we need each other for, for a negotiation to happen mm. um, I think both parties need to feel like they've had a win yeah. um, as soon as one buyer or seller, as soon as one feels like no, I'm getting ripped off here um, the deal often isn't done right. unless one of those parties is in a real desperate situation which as you guys know doesn't happen all that often so <laughs> yeah, it's about yeah. finding, finding a mutual ground. Yeah, exactly all righty, mate. We uh, we greatly appreciate your time. We know uh, how valuable it is, and and we've got to um, jet off. Um, we just want to say good luck to the Lions moving forward. And hope we haven't put the hoodoo on them by by having you join us again. <laughs> I'd feel horrible if I'm I'm really going to watch the game yeah. <laughs> closely this week. Uh, it's always great chatting. I really hope that uh, our borders will open up soon. We've actually planned a trip. Um, having uh, hope you hope to have. Christmas in Launceston. We actually mm. booked that uh, probably January last year. Um, but this day, I don't think we get a flight into Tassie, but uh, <laughs> yeah. still, still several months away. So um, let's be positive and see what happens. Absolutely. Well, if you do end up here in Tassie at some stage, we'll have to catch up and have a beer. I'll definitely take you up on that. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Simon. Cheers, mate. Good on you, Dan. Ta-da. All the best. Cheers. Alrighty then, it's always a pleasure to have Simon on the uh, show. He, he could probably talk with marbles in his mouth underwater, that bloke. <laughs> but it makes our job easy because we don't have to talk. He yeah. just knows his stuff and he's yeah, just that's so, what I like about it. He's so yeah. good at articulating it. Like even as a layman, I can understand exactly what he's saying and, and kind of as he was leading into the things, I was like, oh, this is a layup for the question I had. Like I really wanted to know if this well, – I, I suppose the, why, the reason why I like his opinion first is that um, it really is coming from an economics perspective to begin with with data and then builds a story on top of that. So it's not just opinion what he feels like. It's like, well, actually this is what the data is saying first and then he does bring it to a, a way that you can like converse and understand very, very simply. What I really mm. like is he always talks up Tassie, but then at the same time he probably does that when he's talking to someone in, you know, yeah. <laughs> Victoria. Oh, yeah, that place yeah. is fantastic. I'll come there tomorrow. <laughs> what are you getting? 
no, look, we greatly appreciate every time uh, Simon gives us some of his time. He's a friend of the podcast. And anyone out there, check out Propertyology uh, online. You can Google it or we'll pop some links in the show notes to that. Uh, always a pleasure, guys. Glad that you got your question somewhat answered, John, but I think mm. you still got a, oh, a bit never, of work to do. It was, it was because there was, it was, I knew there was never going to be an easy out. I was just interested to see from a, an investor's advocate. Yeah. Um, what, and What I really liked about it, John, is Simon charges for his time, yet you got your answer answered for free. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't pay for Simon. I just filter into the podcast. Yeah, that's the point of the podcast, isn't it, right? <laughs> you can expect the invoice coming very soon, yeah. my friend. <laughs> Oh, why did my emails just go off? <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us on the Property Pod again. We'll, we'll talk to you all next week. Catch you later. Bye. You have been listening to the Property Pod, produced and edited by 414 Media House in conjunction with 414 Real Estate and McGregor First National Propriety Limited. This podcast is general information only and the thoughts and views expressed is the opinion of our panel and listeners should always seek then use their own investigation into any topic we discuss to ensure they fully understand their own situation. It does not constitute and should not be relied on as purchasing, selling, financial or investment advice or recommendations expressed or implied and it should not be used as an invitation to take up any agent or investment services. No investment decision or activity should be undertaken on the basis of this